Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The battle for the World Championships may be over with Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton certain of the Constructors and Drivers Championships, but there's still two races to go. And first up, we have the Brazilian Grand Prix, always a classic race, of course, at Interlagos. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the race is uh, a local specialist, Autosports, long time, and I do mean long time, Brazilian correspondent, uh, Lito Cavalcanti. Now, so you've been coming to Interlagos for, for decades. It's uh, a, a special place. Oh, yes. Interlagos has always been uh, a special place. Even in the first, the first steps in the old long circuit, it always felt special. Since it's, uh, since it's very, very beginning, it was a special track. And uh, despite... We don't have this track anymore. I think the spirit is still the same. Of course, well, the old the old track you can still see bits of, can't you? You can see the old fast first corner. I remember the first time I came here, which would have been two thousand and two. You telling me about the, the the kind of battle to see who could be first to take it flat? This sort of fast right banked corner. You can see it in the background, uh, kind of where they descend into the S's and behind the uh, the, the kind of second straight still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a kind of inspiration for the drivers. I remember quite well, it's so vivid in my mind, in my eyes. The first time a Formula One car, uh, a Formula One driver, dared to take that corner flat. It was okay, it could be flat, but it was such a hard. They had, uh, the driver had to, to keep the, exactly the, the right line, and the tires, uh, the setup, everything had to be completely on spot on. And the one who did it was Jean-Pierre Jarrier, 
with the shadow, with the old black, beautiful black shadow car. I think it was a DN5 or something like that. I don't have all these details in my mind. But this scene is very, very clear in my mind. It was as the whole paddock uh, held the breath. It was because we, we could see it coming. He was going deeper and deeper and deeper. And each time he was uh, lifting uh, later, later. And then in a certain moment, he just didn't lift. It was kind of, wow, he did it. So this must have been 1975, 1976 kind of I time. I think it was 1975. Yeah, that, makes, that would have been the DN5. You know, is the right kind of driver for that, isn't he? Very fast, very fast driver. In very brave. He was, he was, he had a lot of talent and a, a, a lot of courage. He was, he was nice, very nice to see, to watch him driving. And I suppose now that the fact that the lap is a lot shorter than it used to be, it's not, it, it's, it's still a kind of a classic circuit for modern Formula One, but there is a little bit of the shadow of the old track, isn't there? And I imagine if, as you were, you were able to watch on the old track, that the new one does feel a little bit reduced, shall we say. Oh, yes. Uh, stepping into Interlagos is always a, a thrill. It's always, uh, you know, I, I think that at least m- uh, people from my generation uh, feels a load of history. You feel the, that old spirit's there. You know, in the old times, you had people like Fangio, like Fruilan Gonzalez. They were from Argentina, and they used to come with those old uh Corvette engine, Corvette V8 engines. In Did Gonzalez come here with his, with, with the, the Ferrari that had that, that engine in it? Yeah. He, he had a brilliant sort of hybrid car, didn't he? Yeah, it, it was beautiful. At those days, uh, the, 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 the most promising Brazilian driver was a 19 years old kid called Fritz Dorei. And Fritz, once uh, it was a 500 kilometers race, by the old external ring. It was a kind of a novel, but turning to the left, to the left-hand side. And Freeland Gonzalez looked at his car. It was, uh, I don't remember if it was a, a Ferrari or a Maserati, a single-seater, a Formula One car, but uh, with the V8 engine, a Corvette engine, adapted. And the cover of the engine wouldn't, the engine didn't fit it quite well, so it wouldn't be, uh, you look at that and say, oh, it won't go. And Freeland kind of left and asked to Fritz, but does it really run? And, for, and, and Fritz took it personally, you know, and he took pole position from Freeland Gonzalez and he won the race. And Freeland Gonzalez at those days was one of, one of the great drivers in the world. He was coming from, from his days in Europe in, in, in Formula One. It was, it was one of the moments that up to, up to day, that until today is fondly uh, reminded. I must admit, one of the things I do love about motorsport in Brazil is, is the, the rich history that's there. You always sense it at the circuit, even when you, you go in, if you, you go into the circuit kind of through the tunnel to get into the infield, you go past the... Uh, there's the little bust of Carlos Pache, who the circuit actually is named after, isn't it? It's, uh, obviously, he was killed in a, in a plane crash, a Grand Prix winner, um, another one of the uh, kind of great Brazilian drivers of that era. So it does have a real sense of of history, perhaps helped by the fact it's not maybe the most modern circuit in the world, but in a really 
really good way for me. I, I do feel that even though the circuit's not what it once was, it still I, I imagine it still does feel like the same place where you might watch in the, I guess, 1973 was its first world championship race. Yes, yes, you're right. That's exactly this. You feel it in the air. Or at least I feel, we feel, my, my generation feels. And Carlos Passi was one of the great motivators. He was uh, from the same uh, generation of Emerson Fittipaldi, Wilson Fittipaldi, and he was the second one of this generation to reach Formula One. And in 1975, he was driving for Brabham. He was beginning in Brabham, I think. Uh, he had been with Surtees before, and he had shown uh, he was really fast in Nürburgring when, with the Surtees, him, the old Nürburgring, the, the long, long Nürburgring, and he set the fastest lap with the Surtees. Surtees was not the best car. Uh, at those days. And then when he uh, signed a contract with Brabham, uh, everybody was thinking, well, now we are going to really see how far he can, he can go. And he won here in Interlagos with Emerson in second. I think that was the most glorious day of the Interlagos uh, circuit. I see. Were you there um, that year? Yes, yes, I was there. I, I, I've, been, I've been there in every Formula One race, all of them. Since the, 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 the first experimental one, 72, one that Emerson was leading was the old Lotus 72, the black and gold one. And in the uphill straight, he had a, a problem, the rear suspension, and he was uh, a comfortable lead, but then he had to give up and Carlos Reutemann, the Argentinian driver, won with a Brabham. But people went mad at those days. It was the first time Formula, Formula One uh, came to Brazil. But it had, uh, we've had before what we call temporada. Temporada means season of uh, Formula Ford with Emerson driving, Formula Three, Wilson and Patsy driving, uh, Formula Two, and Formula 2, at those days, you had also the Formula 1 drivers. And then Formula 1. It was uh, uh, such a, 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 an excitement for everybody. And Emerson was there and was leading, and then he suddenly had to give up. But from the on, from the on uh, Formula 1 never stopped came, coming to Brazil. It, there was uh, a long, I think that nine editions were in Jacarepaguá, in Rio de Janeiro, because it was exactly the time that uh, Interlagos was being uh, reformulated. And then it came back in 90, 1990. Uh, it was a victory from Alan Prost. But it was the start of, the, uh, of these days, of this, this circuit. That still is a very, very, very good track. I very much so. It always seems to produce a, a good race as well and the drivers uh in, enjoy it and oh, so we're going to sort of jump a little bit between uh, between the history and monza the thing that does amaze me now is even though we don't have a brazilian driver in formula one haven't for a couple of years since felipe massa had his his second retirement from formula one should we should we say even last year the the crowd still seems to be massive and really enthusiastic and 
it's a good crowd because although they do get behind the home drivers, there is a a real kind of racing spirit. I always remember being down on the grid before the race in 2009 when it was Jensen Button and Rubens Barrichello going for the, the championship and the penultimate race. I remember when uh, Button got out of his car on the grid and he was down the grid 15th place, something like that, and I was around that area of the grid. And he got out of the car and obviously you've got the grandstands really close to the track there, these long grandstands. And initially you got a little bit of booing for him and Jensen just gave the crowd a bit of a wave. Then he got a big cheer as well. So I just, I quite like the racing spirit there, even though they really wanted Rubens to win. And obviously, as it happens, he lost the championship that day. He had the puncher that let Button clinch it. But it's one of the things that makes this race quite special for me. I'm I'm perhaps in a little bit of a minority, as I know a lot of people don't like coming to Brazil, but I've always enjoyed it for precisely that reason. We go to races where there are countries where there isn't much motor racing tradition and nobody seems to really care that much. But here, you get this race means a lot to people who've spent a lot of money to buy tickets proportionate to their income a very large amount for them to, to, to sit in the stands and watch it. Yes, uh, there's a, a, a huge part of the Brazilian people who really love Formula One. They really, really love Formula One. Okay, if there's a Brazilian driver, it's better. But if there's not, we're going to adopt a driver. You know, for many people here, uh, Lewis Hamilton is our representative. Is the Brazilian driver, even if it's not a Brazilian driver. You know, uh, a driver like Max Verstappen always makes the people crazy, you know, because they love Formula One. They love the brave drivers, uh, the talented drivers. And you have it. And if you have a, a competitive race, okay, we don't have a Brazilian driver. Let's, let's go with the drivers we have. And it's, I think it's much more important uh, the passion the people has for Formula One than for uh, to have a Brazilian driver there. When Massa uh, uh, quit for the second time, as you said, uh, there was a, a kind of uh, uh, people felt a little down. Oh, I don't know if I'll be at Interlagos because there will be no driver. But come the race, they were all all there and they all, were all happy and shouting and parting as they always did and it, it should be interesting this year because two of those drivers you mentioned as the kind of a, the ones that the, the home crowd like Max Verstappen Lewis Hamilton should both be at the forefront obviously they've both had some great races here remember Max Verstappen 2016 in the wet terrible conditions he had the spin um, just managed to keep it out of the wall came back through to second uh, a, a brilliant drive and obviously Lewis Hamilton has had a lot of success here so it's it, it, I guess it just shows that the passion is there for the for the for the great races. What what do you think looking into this weekend? The chances of us seeing those two properly in the victory fight because of all the races in the back end of the season, Interlagos is the one perhaps that could help Red Bull be more in the mix. And we did see, of course, Verstappen was fastest in Mexico, so the cars the cars been pretty strong since they sorted out some of those setup errors they they made in a period of races, kind of. Starting Singapore time, they were struggling a little bit. But are you sort of hoping that Red Bull's going to be in the mix as well as Mercedes, and then as we may get onto later, maybe Ferrari, depending on the on the performance on the straights? I really believe that there's uh, there's something. I, I I have an opinion, but I'm not, I'm not so sure it's the right thing, the right reason. But I think that there's a a perfect marriage between the Red Bull concept 
and Interlagos uh, characteristics. Uh, Interlagos is a short lap, is the third shortest in the whole calendar. It's uh, it's longer, it's lo only longer than Monaco and Mexico, and Mexico by by five meters. It's almost nothing, but you per lap you have only uh, seven breaking points. You go into uh, the first corner, the S of Senna, you, you get there about uh, uh, above 330 kilometers, and then you have heavy hard braking for the first corner, but no braking for two and three, in corners two and three. And then you have a downhill straight. When you are uh, in a downhill straight, acceleration difference is not that big. And then it goes uh, to Red Bull's side. It is, it's uh, at least not such a big disadvantage for the less power, less powerful Honda engines as it was with Renault last season. And then you have a heavy brake in for turn four, no brake in for turn five, a light brake for turn six, that's Laranjinha, that uh, medium, medium speed blind right hand corner. And then you have a brake for. The slow S break for Pinheirinho, the slow corners. Uh, uh, Pinheirinho is a little pine tree, or small pine tree. Uh, uh, you have breaking for the slowest corner is Duck, Duck Bill. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's an antenna thing, that isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Tight right hander, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's actually like, like a duck beat, like a duck bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a harping. And then you have a full throttle corner left-hand corners, the, the dive, because it's downhill. And then you have another uh, hard braking for the junction corner, and it's over. Seven breakings in one lap. And it's, it's, uh, it makes uh, uh, Interlagos the ideal track for a well-balanced car, as we saw last season. Well, maybe uh, there was some uh, it was a little. It was helped by uh, the the problems Hamilton's engine had, but even so, he had such a big advantage in his tires. Uh, if you remember, Hamilton changed his tires at the lap number nineteen. Verstappen changed his tires sixteen laps later, and when he got back, he was flying. I really uh, find it very hard. To believe that Hamilton, even uh, with a perfect engine, could resist Verstappen progression, and obviously uh, Verstappen in the end had the collision with uh, with Ocon while, while lapping him, which which cost him the win. Yeah, but I think he <laughs> won't repeat this kind of mistake. Uh, no, this year. he's a clever guy. Yeah, I, th I think he does. Uh, he, he does learn, but I think it's a, a valid point. It is a. It's what I like to think of as a, it is a chassis track, isn't it? And there's quite a few of these corners where you can. Quite sort of some of the corners are quite long in terms of they're not just sort of in out quickly they're quite kind of multi phase corners. I remember last year I always try and watch trackside because you learn a lot. I I went can't remember which session it was. It might have been FP three. I went to watch above the Lanangina, uh, the right hander. You can stand sort of on the hill above it, sort of just walk down the hill out the back of the paddock. Nice nice grassy area. A great place to watch and and the. The Red Bull just looks really, always looked really good through there in terms of just a little bit of braking while still turning in and setting yourself up for the 
for the sort of heavy break into the into into turn eight. So yeah, I'm I'm sort of hopeful the Red Bull will be in the mix because it kind of it kind of has been, hasn't it? The uh, see the Mexico pace was was encouraging. Uh, had a like a solid weekend uh, in Austin, but yeah, I, I feel like because this has been a really good season in terms of the swing in performance, etc. Obviously, we had Mercedes taking those eight wins early in the season. Everyone said, "Oh, it's it's more of the same," but we've seen performance swings. We've not seen that many wins from pole position either from drivers, which is always a good sign. And it'd just be nice to finish off the season fittingly with a couple of couple of good races, wouldn't it? And if we could have a three-way, a real three-way fight between those three cars, that would be brilliant. Yes, I think I think we're going to have it uh, this weekend. I think we're going to have two different uh, scenes. Uh, in Saturday, in qualifying, I really don't believe that the Red Bull cars are fast enough uh, to, to go for pole position. Uh, one lap is not enough. Uh, for such a different power difference, you know, I think we'll have uh, uh, a fight, a straight fight between Mercedes and Ferrari. Ferrari is on the back foot because uh, they won't have the, the one lap fast driver. That's Charles Leclerc. Of course, he has the grid penalty, so he'll be. I think he's ten places down, isn't he? So that knocks him out of contention. Although we should say Vettel recent weekends has been has picked it up a bit, I think, from Suzuka onwards, although we should say in uh, Mexico, Leclerc also had the problem that he was on the old spec engine after the FP3 problem. Yes, and if you see USA, he lost pole position for uh, 0.012. It's uh, 12 thousandths of a second. It's less than a blinking of an eye. It was, And it was, he lost it in the last corner. Under breaking, but uh, this is what I can foresee about Saturday. I think it's going to be uh, Fettel against uh, Hamilton and Bottas, and I wouldn't discard Bottas any time. He's been getting stronger and stronger, and he come from he comes from a from a pole position. He comes from a a, 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 a real. Uh, a real win in USA in Austin, and then uh, you have Fettel. You have uh, Fettel uh, looks to me like uh, uh, like he's hurt. You know, I've been I've been here for quite a while. I've been here the leading driver. I'm four times world champion, and I can do it. And and I think that's the best effect of Charles Leclerc's. Uh, presence in Ferrari. I think it's an interesting point. Vettel has had a very strange season. There was that period where Leclerc was consistently outpacing him, outperforming him. Obviously, Vettel had the fortuitous win in, in Singapore, which was a down to the, the power of the undercut and the strategy. But then, you know, Suzuki he picked up pace. And you'd have to say, I think, I think you're right. He's responded to this, which I'm pleased to see. Because I must confess, I was getting to the point where I kind of felt that Vettel was probably a a bit of a busted flush and couldn't find a way to get back on terms. But he's just he's just shown he's got that fight, which is what you expect from a champion. There comes a point where all all drivers who've had a lot of success are challenged, aren't they? And it's a question of can they rise to that challenge? And it looked like Vettel might not, but he might he's just sort of hanging on in there, isn't he? And 
and saying, actually, I'm not going to give this up, this team up without without a fight, and using every bit of experience he can to stay in there, and how, how he would love to try and nick one of these last two races. Yeah, I I, I really feel this way. Also feel this way. Uh, I think he he has uh, found or he has recovered his fighting spirit, his fighting determination. It won't go without a good fight. Maybe, yeah, he's not as fast as, as Leclerc in one lap, but he's still a, a, a strength lap after lap. His experience, his knowledge, it's been there, and it's been visible again. It was not in the first half of the season, but now it is. If Ferrari uh, uh, get to, uh, if Ferrari shows here that it's it's been over his tireware problems, don't discard him, don't discard him at all, you know. And Ferrari is still the fastest car in the straights. Well, that's the interesting question, isn't it? We had all, all the controversy last time out in Austin, and we should say that although their advantage on the straight was reduced heavily. It was down to a couple of tenths, just over two tenths on the, the long back straight, the run down to, uh, down to turn 12. Whereas on previous, for Mexico, we set aside because of the altitude, but Suzuka, they were pulling just over six tenths on everyone on a sort of relatively comparable straight. So this is an interesting test because Ferrari came up, obviously, with all sorts of reasons why they struggled more in, in Austin. And as you said, they were only 12 thousandths off pole with the one car that had the latest spec engine. So they weren't exactly slow. Could easily have been up front, as we've seen in recent races. Uh, but they talked about the setup trade-offs, this, that, and the other, which are all possible. Other teams are convinced that they were doing this trickery with the, uh, the monitoring of the fuel flow. We don't know 100% whether that's the case. The circumstantial evidence suggests they may have stopped doing something. But this weekend will be a really good test of that. Because although it's not a power circuit, it does have that one, as you say, all the way from uh, Jean-Sal to the Saint-Aurès. It's flat uphill as well. So that that part of the circuit is very, very power-dependent, even if the rest of it isn't. You know, uh, I think, uh, I don't think, I'm really sure, someone, I don't know who, I, we don't know yet who is going to be ashamed at the end of the, the weekend. Because, uh, or... Ferrari or the ones who have been sp spreading the word that Ferrari is acting out of the rules. Uh, but if you take a look at the sectors in what Austin qualifying, uh, well, uh, you, f you will find that what Mattia Binotto said about the car setup is right, it's true. Because in many of the uh, medium speed and the high speed corners, Ferrari was the fastest car. And if you if you uh, pay attention, if you I don't know if you had the chance to to watch on TV the comparison between uh, Porter's lap and Fetter's lap, uh, each corner, until the the the, the breaking for the last corner, Fetter was ahead. And that last corner is a, a slow corner. And the slow corner, the slowest corners have always been, well, not always, but have been uh, Ferrari's big problem this season. So uh, Bottas uh, discounted the whole uh, difference of time in one breaking point. 
But Ferrari uh, was still uh, the fastest car on the streets, less faster than before. But everything uh, uh, makes me think that they really had a, a bigger uh, rear wing angle. It's 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 interesting because everything that you said can work. So that that's why you always need more than one data set because it could just be they're having a bad weekend as well. You know, this does happen. And people might not have said the same, been quite so emphatic about it had Vettel say been on been on pole. Uh so it's it it is it is a good test. It, it's at best any evidence is circumstantial at the moment, which is why in the podcast that we did after Austin I was kind of a little equivocal on it because until you see 100% proof, you can't you can't be sure. So it's it's a good test. But the more races that happen since that technical directive was issued, making very clear you cannot do that. And as I've said before, if someone is doing something like that, it's it, it is pretty bad form. It's not a grey area. It's it, it it's screening something that is clearly illegal. I would say if. But we have had some of. The, I think this is the first time. The, the opposition has been kind of unified in what they think Ferrari is doing. There was a slight difference because before there were various theories about oil from intercooler. You know, we've had battery theories and there were all of these different suggestions. This is the first time that, and initially it came from Red Bull, but this is the first time that the opposition seemed to be convinced. But then again, Formula One teams are always convinced everyone else is cheating, uh, aren't they? So it's, it's, that's what made this hard. Because if, if it returns to the previous pattern, let's say they're, and again, it's a it's not that power dependent a circuit, so maybe you wouldn't expect them to sit to be pulling three quarters of a second on everyone on the straights anyway. But if there is that big difference, it comes to the point where you have to say to the other teams, it's like right, okay, well if you think this is happening now, you need to do a protest and make this official. As Ferrari have asked, well, Benotto said, well, I'd like the FI to exonerate us and say we haven't been cheating. Well, the only way this can be done is by somebody actually putting the piece of paper down and having a proper investigation. Yes, for sure. I think it's necessary. I think it's going to be this way. The only thing that I really, uh, that really disgusts me, uh, it's the way, uh, uh, the, the words that have been said, the way it has been spread out. And it shouldn't be like this. I think that's very bad for Formula One. But about the, the, that feeling, well, it's, it's the human nature. I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm doing everything right. And still, that guy is doing better than me. What does he know that I don't know? And I go back and I see everything and I take a, a close look at all details and still I can't find the reason why he's doing better than me. He can only be cheating. That's the nature. Uh, that's the nature of the human being. But some words shouldn't be said. That's what I think it's, it's, been do, it's been done the wrong way. Okay, if Ferrari uh, proves there's nothing wrong with it, well, I think that whoever made, started this movement will not have a good figure. Yeah, I think it's it, it's going to kind of come to a head, isn't it? It's not going to just just go away, and that this will be another test case, and Abu Dhabi will be as well. So, yeah, very interesting to see how uh, how that goes. We've talked a little bit about Red Bull, but we did have the news this week about Alex Alban continuing next year. 
no great surprise, I think. But what 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 do you make of what Albon has done and, and Red Bull's decision to keep him in the team? I think that Alex Albon is it's a real, real, real uh, great surprise for Formula One uh, uh, watchers, for Formula One public, but not for whoever uh, watched him in Formula Two. That's when I first uh, saw him. He was already an amazing driver. I didn't see him in the karting days. Well, he's he's an interesting driver because he was a mega. He was the man in karts at times, um, and a lot of the guys that raced around. Because obviously, sometimes you race against people in karts. Sometimes you're just in that world. But people like Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc have a lot of respect for what Alvin did, but. Albon admitted when he got into cars, he struggled a bit for a while. It wasn't really until GP3, when he was alongside Leclerc, that he kind of really started to pull things together. So but I, think, I think, right, in karting, he was this megastar, and then he lost that momentum, if you like, which is the interesting story about him. It's kind of lost the momentum, picked it up a bit, looked like he was gone for Formula, gone to Formula E and would never get into F1, and then suddenly he's got one of the best six seats in Formula 1. Yes, I, I think he's... He's a really, really uh, talented driver, and he's very smart. If you if you uh, take a look at his Red Bull races, not the Toro Rosso, but the Red Bull races when he was really under under pressure, he had uh, some some crashes, but all of them in Fridays, when you have the time to recover, and comes the Sunday, it was like. Nothing had happened before. I think he's got a, a great mind power, a great mind control. And he's really, really uh, talented. He's, he's, he knows what to do with that wheel in his hands, with those pedals under his feet. He's a good driver. He's a really good driver. Sometimes, or once, uh, he may be a little, uh, he goes a little too strong, Trying to to get a, a, a position as he maybe did. passing Norris at Suzuka is the exactly, classic example. Exactly, that's that's exactly what I mean. But usually, he uh, when the, the times he, he he started from the back of the grid, his recovery was awesome. Well, he's never he's never finished behind a midfield car, which is a problem Pierre Gasly had. He he slipped behind, and actually Albon has more excuse to it because he's had a couple of races where he started right down the back. The only caveat to that is Sochi he was helped a bit by a safety car but he does seem to be a driver who just like you say the mental strength just sort of keeps going I think some drivers talk themselves out of it or they they get into problems like Gasly was doing so much setup stuff and it would be oh I've got the car right for that corner oh I want to get it right for that corner and then he'd change it and lose the previous he couldn't kind of get that compromise and adapt his driving he kept making sit, making new seats for himself as well. He was never really happy in the car. Whereas I think Albon's much better at just getting on with it. And both Toro Rosso and Red Bull have talked about how well he learns and just soaks everything up. I think he's made a very good start to the Red Bull career. The two main things I want to see next year, he does need to crash less. I'll forgive some crashing, but it has happened a lot this year. He crashed in Melbourne, Hungary, China, that big crash before qualifying. Still came through from the pit lane to points. Singapore, Mexico. So he's had a lot of offs, but his races have been good. And I should say, actually, Germany was a particularly good drive. First time in the wet in a Formula One car, finished sixth. Kvyat got all the praise, but 
Kvyat was having a decent race before he gambled on slicks, but Albon had, I think, what was the best race performance of the whole field there, but ended up six. So if he can crash a bit less and just close that sort of close that gap to to Verstappen in qualifying, it's been just over four tenths on average, which is okay in the circumstances. First season for him, fine, but it, it'll need to come down. Doesn't need to be at Verstappen's pace, but I've I've been in, I, I like I like the sort of the approach he takes. I think he's got he's got something. Yeah, I I, I fully agree with you, and uh, I, I like to think that next season uh, it will be completely different for him because this time he was uh, thrown in the fire. He was in a low pressure team, and then he he was. Uh, in Red Bull. Red Bull is really hard. And uh, next season, he'll have the preseason tests. Uh, he will learn the car from the very beginning and under uh, different circumstances. And then when it comes to Australia, he'll have started from the same uh, point as every other driver. And then he will already be more familiar uh, with the whole team because of this half-season, because of pre-season. I think uh, this, the risks he's been, he's been taking in Friday's free practice won't be ne- uh, necessary anymore. And the, the thing that still amazes me, whatever happened uh, Friday or Saturday, it's out of his mind comes the race. That, that's, that's a real strength. I remember watching on Friday at Melbourne, I may have talked about this before, uh, down at turn one, also say always watch track side, so the the right left, and in the in the left hander, he was being more and more aggressive on the throttle, and the rear was was going a little bit, and he was correcting, going and correcting, going and correcting, and then eventually it went, and he backed into the wall. And I, I asked him about it later. I said, "Well, I saw that. I, I I could see it. You were being kind of aggressive and catching it." And I asked him about kind of what happened there. And the interesting thing I liked about him is he he showed he'd kind of processed what had happened. And understood it, and he wasn't he wasn't going to make up a story about it. He basically said, "Yeah, it, it sort of moved a bit, but every time I seemed to catch it, so I thought I could keep leaning on it. And then the tires had got a bit older, and it went too far, and it just went. And I backed into the wall, and I thought, okay, that's as far as I can go. And a lot of drivers, particularly their first Grand Prix weekend, would have made up some something or other about it. But he basically said, "Well, yeah, what you saw is correct. This is what I was thinking. Yeah, I went a bit too far, and and I." I like that mindset because I think it's really important for a driver to understand what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And if I had a criticism of Pierre Gasly, incidentally, who I do think is a quick driver, and I've been very impressed with what he's done since going back to Toro Rosso, but I feel Gasly got into a world with Red Bull of just not not looking at what he was doing because there were times when he, he was braking too late, he was creating understeer, and he wasn't working with the car. And he never really... And if you asked him about it, he never quite convinced you it was anything other than, no, no, none of this is my fault, if you like. Whereas Albon, I like the fact straight away, first Grand Prix weekend, he could do that. And that's really important. I think the main difference between Albon and Gasly, uh, let me make, uh, make it clear. I, I rate Gasly's uh, talent highly. I think he's really, really fast. But the difference between him, maybe he's faster than Albon. But the difference between them is in the mind. Albon just doesn't waste one single mistake. 
He takes the mistakes as lessons. And Gasly seems not to be able uh, to, to live with the mistakes. And he's always uh, creating excuses for the mistakes. He doesn't think... Uh, uh, he had... The, the, the way the way he he doesn't uh, take the lessons from the mistakes, and it's it's easy to underestimate how important that is. I remember a good example from from some years ago with Daniel Ricciardo when he qualified brilliantly in Bahrain in 2012, his first season. Uh, started well, I think he started sixth, stunning lap, and it was basically as quick as Vettel in the Red Bull for sort of eight tenths of the lap, something like that. Really impressive, but he he didn't make a great start. Lost a few places, and then. By the end of the first lap, he was down in about 15th, 16th, just behind Jean-Eric Verne, his teammate who qualified badly. And I remember speaking to him pretty quickly after the race, and he kind of explained what had happened off the start. He said, well, I, I didn't make a great getaway, but I know I didn't lose all those places off the line. And then he said, I just didn't get, I just didn't get it together and get myself sort of back in the line and just sort of say, right, well, if you've lost three places off the line, you've lost them. You, you can't get them back. You're ninth, you hold ninth. You don't drop back to 16th trying to be sixth again. You see what I mean? And straight after the race, obviously he'd not even gone back to the, to the team, he'd processed that and understood it. And he said, oh, next time, next time I'm up there, I'm, I'm going to deliver on this. And it wasn't, I don't think it's until China the following year that he was back up there. And he qualified well, stayed there, did really well, and he showed he'd learned the lesson. But I like it when drivers, especially straight after, some drivers will come up with, it, with excuses and all sorts. Some, in fairness, take a little bit longer to process it. I always think Lewis Hamilton's a driver who... He likes to spend a little bit of time thinking and reflecting on it, and then he's very insightful and really understands what's been going on, which I'm I'm impressed with. Um, so there's different ways of doing it, but you need that. And Max Verstappen might not necessarily admit to a mistake very easily, but he'll know it and he'll he'll take it on board, even if he wants to bat everyone away who who, who suggests it. All the great drivers have this; they probably always have. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. That's it. It's not only driving. It's feeling the car, feeling the race. It's not the uh, the driver that can win a race. It's a driver and his car. Until a driver uh, is mature enough to understand this, he's gonna uh, struggle a lot. And I think that's what's happened, and maybe is happening again with Gasly. But I think now he's got in in his team, uh, Franz Tost. Uh, by Franz Tost's story, I think he's the right guy to bring up the drivers. Well, he's got a lot of experience with the uh, with the younger drivers. Yeah, Tost actually was a driver himself back in the day. He was an Austrian Hicciardo, Formula Four champion. Yeah, Ricciardo uh, was one of his. Uh, I don't know how to say one of his. Young drivers. Yeah. Vettel, another one. Vettel, uh, Verstappen. Sainz. Sainz. You look, the man is a driving university, <laughs> a post-graduation. That's it. I think that, that I, I don't know, but I, 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 uh, I think, I guess he teach the drivers to think, to analyze everything that happened. Because that's the, the, the common aspect between all these drivers that, came from from his team. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, as Gasly and Kvyat have been confirmed to continue at uh, Toro, so Alpha Tori, as it's going to be called uh, uh, next season. So I think that's, uh, that's a good a good choice and it'll work for Red Bull because they don't have kind of the next, well, I guess, Yuri Vips, who's in F3, his season 
tailed off a little bit, but a, a good driver is kind of the next one in the queue. He's not really ready. So I think that's a good kind of holding pattern, shall we say, for for Red Bull. And yeah, fascinating to see how uh, how Albon gets on. Uh, and just sort of to finish off, uh, to, to come back, we've talked about the history and the, and the today, but there's also a future question about the Brazilian Grand Prix. Do you, are we going to Rio in 2021? Do we know? The new circuit obviously talked about. It's meant to hold MotoGP as well. I really can't see it happening. I think it was a political move from the new president. Uh, uh, he knows, he really, he's not familiar uh, with what uh, a Formula One race takes. And so uh, there was, there's uh, 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 some tension between uh, the Liberty Liberty Media people and uh, the international promotions people here, the promoter of Grand Prix of Brazilian Grand Prix since Bernie Eccleston's days, and the contract is going to end next season. And Chase Carey uh, came to came to Brazil to look for uh, another track. He didn't want uh, to cope anymore with uh, the way the things were done here. And he talked to the Brazilian, Brasilia people, but the Brasilia track uh, would take uh, a lot of money to be brought back to Formula One standards. And he talked to the Rio, Rio de Janeiro people and there's also a new governor in Rio. And one of his promises when he was running for governor was to, to rebuild, to, to create a new uh, track in Rio because the old Jacarepaguá was destroyed uh, to, the, to, to receive the Olympic Games, a move that nobody could understand or even explain. It was also for political reasons. And then uh, he talked to the president, to the, to the new president. All his, his move came to the president, Jair Bolsonaro. Jair Bolsonaro lives in Rio. He's got a lot of support in Rio, in Rio de Janeiro. And then uh, I think he got a little too excited and went to the microphones and said, we're going to have uh, the Brazilian Japan Rio next season. We're going to build the best uh, autodrome in the world. <laughs> Typically of people who's not familiar with what is motorsport. And he said some promise that at the end don't seem to be feasible. They have some, some uh, legal blockage from environment entities. Uh, they have uh, they didn't find still the private money to fund it and one of his promise is that they wouldn't put one single coin of public money if there is such a thing that's public money anyway uh, things are not going in the pace he thought it would go and in the in, in opposition for him the Sao Paulo governor João Doria he he's aiming the presidents, and he's already an opponent uh, 
of Bolsonaro for 2022, the new election for president. And it would be a loss for him, a defeat for him, if Formula One left Sao Paulo to Rio. And he won't allow it. No way. So you're going to see the new pits at Interlagos. It's, it's going to be a positive surprise. It's, uh, it's something you never thought you would see and in an old track, in a historic track or whatever we decide to call Interlagos. And he's putting a lot of work on this, um, on this dispute. I don't want to start like fight or struggle or something <laughs> like this. But that's what it really is. Well, it's a, it's a, it means that the Formula One race is a political yeah. tool, isn't it? It's a political yeah. weapon, shall we say. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they are already working on a formula to, to, to keep international promotion because they are really, really, really good in their job. So they're currently promoting the Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah. Yes. Those guys that Chase Carey doesn't want to cope with anymore. And they, they really want to put a, a kind of a, a protection for these two sides. Another promoter, another, a, a more, let's say, a, a, a guy that can cope with the political side, with the relations with liberty media, and this guy would hire international promotion. Hmm. So there will be no contact, but still they keep the good job international promotion has been doing all these seasons, and they, they are the guys who started Portu Port the Portuguese Grand Prix, the Hungary Grand Prix, they are really, really competent. And of course, this whole thing about dealing with race organization and politics and promotion, it was something Bernie Eccleston was very good at. And Bernie Eccleston knew Brazil very well. Brazil is a very particular country, shall we say. It's, uh, you have to know how to, how to deal with it, shall we say. And obviously, uh, your, your president is, a, let's say, generously a divisive figure. I think that's probably the, the nicest thing, <laughs> most positive way you could put it. But uh, for my money, it, it feels like the race should, needs to stay at Interlagos. Uh, that's the way I see it. I really uh, don't see an alternative, a real, a proper alternative to Interlagos. I don't see the Rio de Janeiro track dream coming true. And I still see Interlagos in... Uh, I, I see Interlagos in improvement coming to Interlagos from João Doria. He's been, uh, in his career, he's been a uh, 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 touring secretary, and he knows a lot about it. He's very, very familiar with the touring industry. And he's going to put uh, big investments, a lot of work on it, also by this aspect. Because if he can show that Sao Paulo uh, can make uh, the money it potentially can make with touring, you know, it's going to be a, a, positive thing for, a positive thing for him. Well, if it leads to greater investment, which it seems to be, that's a very positive thing. And I suspect the race weekend, this weekend, will remind us why this is such a, such a great track. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Just, just to finalize this part of uh, João Doria, uh, he, he brought back to São Paulo the uh, Rally dos Sertões. It's, it's a kind, it's a cross-country uh, competition. Uh, it's going to be 
quite close to Dakar. It's going to be such a, 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 a happening, such a, a, a spectacle, such a show. And it's the same thing you, you, you're going to see there, I, th I expect to see in Formula One. And I think Interlagos is here to stay. Well, we can but hope. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much, Lito Cavalcanti, for your, for your insight. It's always great to have some uh, local insight, uh, shall we say. And, and if, for those of you, if you enjoyed listening to Lito, for those of you who speak Portuguese, there is a, a Lito Cavalcanti podcast. Yes, there's a, a Lito Cavalcanti podcast. Uh, it's in Spotify, in the main aggregators, and also in my personal site, litocavalcante.com.br. Uh, there's a channel in YouTube, and there's a colon in the, in the biggest site in Brazil, Wall Universe Online. Well, I've been quite busy. You're a digital media brand, that's what we call you. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And still uh, enjoying a lot working with you, Autosport, my Autosport colleagues. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, and do check out autosport.com for all the latest from uh, Formula One and the rest of the world of motorsport. Autosport magazine, of course, out every Thursday. This podcast usually out every Monday and Thursday, free to download. So find that where you'll find, uh, wherever you found this podcast, you'll be able to find it, obviously. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.